what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, American National Insurance, and Spiritless. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers! To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and fascinating minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast is Tony Turlato II and his sister, Elise Turlato. Winemaking, these families, these winemakers, nothing happens right away, right? right? Mm -hmm. Things take time. Things need to gestate. They need to grow. They need to vinify. They need to ferment. Mm. They need to age. Mm, There's something to be said for taking that time, for understanding, you know, that that quality takes time. Tony and Elise Turlato are the grandchildren of Tony Turlato, who created and founded the Turlato Wine Group. His visionary approach to the world of wine and his passion for food, wine, and great conversation is at the heart of why the Turlato Wine Group has become such a success. Thank you for bringing me to Tangley Oaks. This building is a wow. It really <laughs> is. For We're fortunate us. to be here. Today, we are in for a treat. This podcast takes us an hour north of Chicago to Lake Bluff, Illinois. The headquarters of the Turlato Wine Group is located in a stunning Tudor Revival estate originally built for Philip Armour, the grandson of the founder of the Armour Company. Longtime Turlato family chef Colin Crowley is preparing a four-course meal for us to enjoy today. It's in this beautiful setting that I have the chance to hear firsthand the story of creating the Turlato Wine Group and the vision for this company moving forward with Tony Turlato II and his sister, Elise Turlato. I think it's interesting that Turlato Wine Group is in Lake Bluff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you, yeah. you know, when you think of American wines, you think of California. Yes. I think, you know, it's almost like it was a differentiator. It mm-hmm. puts you in a category, in a class all by yourself by being 
here you are north of Chicago. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? We get that question all the time. It's a little bizarre. There's <laughs> yes. no doubt. Why are you in Chicago? A lot of import companies are in uh, New York, right. based in maybe Miami. You but know. do you feel like it makes you special and, and differentiates you? And what do you think it says mm-hmm. about you as an organization, as a group, as a company, as a family, mm-hmm. that you're based out of Lake Bluff, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we our Midwestern roots ring true. There's no question. You know how we how we go about our business, how we treat people, how we expect to be treated. The work ethic, the quality. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah, the accessibility. You know, right. that's right. right. We're centrally located. I think it's also about the family foundation mm-hmm. started mm-hmm. here, and so it feels you know comfortable and and real exactly authentic that we're sticking to our roots and Mm -hmm. you know where where our family started so you know we could have gone anywhere whether at a restaurant um in chicago we could have gone to napa but you chose to bring me back here to where it all began at tankley oaks why this place is very special to us uh all of our corporate headquarters have been in the past and they all really revolve around this room here the dining room in the kitchen. We entertain as a huge part of our business. We're in the hospitality business. We sell uh, to buyers who are entertaining consumers constantly. And I think it has been important for our family, one, because dining is such an intrinsic part of who we are as people uh, and, and what our family is sort of established upon, sharing a meal with someone and having them get to know us in a different way, not just sitting in a boardroom or, or in a conference table, but understanding you know who you are over a meal, good wine, and conversation. So, um, Amen. To, yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. It's funny because I was reading about your grandfather, Mr. Terlato, and just how much he cared about bringing people together and having that conversation over food. Can you talk a little bit about what a meal meant to him? It meant a great lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say similar to how much love he had for his family, wine and food were right there. Um, and a lot of it really has to do with the Italian heritage. He grew up in a family where you know, his grandmother was always around who was from Italy. And that's just something that he... I think it just stuck with him and he was very excited about teaching us as we grew up to live life to the fullest by only, you know, drinking the finest wine, eating food that, you know, complements it, but also listening to opera. You know, it, it was just... He was a renaissance man. Yes, very much so. Yes. And appreciated, you know, the finer things in life. Well, it's interesting because I know, Tony, your role has to do with sales, specifically with restaurants. And um, I thought it was so interesting that he put a kitchen and invited restaurateurs and chefs in to kind of pair the wines and have that conversation. And it wasn't just about selling wine. It was bringing it into the context of a meal. I mean, that was super important to him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he was clever um, in many ways, but this was just one of the things that, uh, you know, he did. When we had a distributorship, he recognized that salespeople had such a hard time getting the attention of a buyer, Mm. whether it was retail or restaurant. Um, When they're in their home base, they're thinking about the kitchen, they're thinking about service coming, they're thinking about a customer walking through the aisles. They don't have uh, the attention span to be able to listen to a sales call. So he thought, listen, let's get them out of their office. Let's get them out of their restaurant and we'll put a kitchen in. We'll entertain them. They're so used to entertaining everybody else. Let's show them that we can do the same. Genius. I mean, truly, it It really really was. And it's funny in a way it kind of mirrors what to dine for is all about, Mm -hmm. which is interviews with fascinating people who are moving the needle forward in different disciplines, but doing it over a meal. And there's something I think sacred and spiritual about connecting over a great meal. That's right. That is so different than any sort of sales call, as you probably have known. It Mm -hmm. it really, it changes the relationship when you're sitting down. There are a lot of important conversations that have taken place at this table, in the kitchen, and it's to your point, even in our family, you know, a lot of things come out of them. Even during <laughs> lunch, the conversation, you know, is important. And it's time where you can actually get to know someone and build a relationship rather than 
you know, just talking business. You can kind of learn about their family and things like that, and it makes people more comfortable. On the menu today is shrimp with avocado and grapefruit paired with a little bit of champagne, the Lonson Black Label Brute. Tony's Linguini and Clams, a recipe that he has worked hard to tweak through the years, paired with the Pinot Grigio that Tony is credited with bringing to America and sharing with the American palate. Lamb chops with root vegetables and roasted honey nut squash with a glass of Clipson, followed by a selection of cheeses and the Chimney Rock Cabernet Sauvignon, Stag's Leap District. Let's start at the beginning, because I'm really fascinated about how Turlato Wine Group came to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you take me back? Because it's a really interesting story, not only with your grandfather, but your grandmother. Can you begin to tell the story? Yes. So both our grandmother, um, her father, and our grandfather's father both had retail stores. My grandfather's... um, In Chicago. One was... So my grandfather's father's retail store was in... Um, Brooklyn, New York, which is where our grandfather um, grew up. And then, you know, he had married my grandmother, who also had a father who owned a retail store on Grand and Western in Chicago. Obviously, it runs in both sides of the family. And when they, you know, got married, the retail store grew into more of a distributing company. So my grandfather had worked with his father-in-law, and that's how it really emerged. You know, it's not, yeah. it's now become Turlato. And did they meet in Brooklyn or did they meet in Chicago? Like how did your, your grandfather who was from Brooklyn end up in Chicago? They met in Chicago. He actually, he was living in Brooklyn at around the age of 18 or 19. He moved to Florida and he worked as a bellhop and a swim instructor at the Fountain Blue. Are you serious? And I swear mm-hmm. to God. Mr. Trelato. Mr. Yes. Trelato, that's right. He taught us swimming at a young age. Um, so he kept those skills later in life. Um, but, you know, like you said, a renaissance man doing many different things. He found his way then a few years later in Chicago uh, and actually convinced his parents who were in New York to come to Chicago uh, and, and spend time with him there. That's where he met his future father-in-law, Anthony Paterno. That's how he met our grandmother, Joe. And then in the retail store is where he kind of developed his passion for fantastic Bordeaux. Mm. And, you know, at the time uh, when first growth Bordeaux were being sold for three to $5 a bottle, which back then was a lot of money, but certainly not what they're going for today. Um, He recognized the quality in those wines and recognized that eventually the American consumer was going to understand what those wines were, what they meant to dining, what they what they meant to food in general, um, and that people were going to search out quality. And so that's where he focused his time and energy. Okay, so that's really interesting. So here he is working at this retail store. Mm-hmm. He ha- he has a almost like a vision to understand that consumers are going to really take to this Bordeaux and take to fine wines in general. What do you think it was about him that allowed him to be such a visionary? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a really good question. As a person, he's always he was always someone who looked ahead. Mm-hmm. And in anything that he did, you know, business or his own personal life, he was always on to the newest technology before anyone else. He was always looking, you know, at different things that he could use to make his life more, you know, easy or seamless. So looking for the finest knives, you know, looking for always improving. And I think when it comes to him bringing, you know, luxury wines to the States, I think he found, you know, a conflict that Americans didn't necessarily enjoy fine wines or, you know, luxury wines the way that they did in Europe. And and that's what's so interesting. How did he know that eventually they would? Do you know what I mean? Yes. And and enough to really sink his fortune, so to speak, in it and really go for it. I think think that's so fascinating, don't you? I do. I I think he recognized (laughs) that once people experience something better of higher quality, Mm. that it's difficult to go back. And, and especially when it comes to wine. It once, sure is. Once you taste a great wine, you don't want to go back to drinking the wine that you had before sure. if it doesn't yes. stand up in quality. And he felt that personally. Mm-hmm. And I think he took that and said, I'm no different than anyone else. Mm-hmm. When someone else experiences the same thing that I do, they're going to feel exactly how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. It's my responsibility to introduce them to that. 
Tony's passion for two things, wine and family, seeped into everything he did and everything the company stands for. It's part of why the company is located north of Chicago and not California. Some of the wines in the Turlato portfolio include Chimney Rock, Sanford Winery, Rutherford Hill, and Turlato Family Wines, to name a few. For anyone who knows him or has met him in their life, they know that he had a presence, a charm, and confidence. And so as opposed to He was a salesman. Saying, yes, was. exactly. <laughs> so opposed to saying, you know, we're going to make this change or we're going to evolve your thoughts, it was really creating the change and being, you know, that foundational character to say, I believe in this so much that you will believe in it as well. Well, that's the mark of any great salesperson, right? That, that you can change someone's opinion just based on what you believe. I just have to stop because this <laughs> yeah. weenie and clams has just <laughs> arrived. Yep. And the smell and the look, it, it just looks like just a bowl of heaven, right? Like I just want to dive into this. It, it looks does. so good. Bringing us back to being in his kitchen. Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. Take me back to those early days at the store when, you know, right when we said that he had this vision for specifically Bordeaux, Mm -hmm. and how consumers would take to Bordeaux. That's an idea, but how do you bring it to action? He, so they would bring in these items. You know, he had salespeople coming to him, but then he he would search people out Mm -hmm. and recognize that I'm only seeing a small piece of what's available in the world, what's available overseas. Mm -hmm. How can I get my hands on these items? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when they sort of evolved the business. And, and moved it forward to distributing and, and importing, bringing these wines in himself, creating relationships overseas with winemakers and families that were producing these wines, saying, I want to represent your tremendous brands in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, because there's a market for them there that's untapped. In our portfolio, we only represent family brands. Mm. So, so only family-owned family vineyards. Yes. Mm. I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. So, um, and th- I think that was also how he was able to create these relationships. It wasn't um, a corporate brand that has high quantity. It's those, you know, lower quantity family brands where he knows that quality, you know, can be improved. Quality is maybe a little bit higher Um, than some of the more commercial, you know, quantity-driven brands. So I think he realized that the key was to have a family, you know, enduring brands to represent. What do you think it is about a family legacy brand that is different from a corporate Mm -hmm. wine brand? We'll have more from our delicious meal in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. 
you can purchase Samford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code To Dine For at checkout. Cheers. Now back to our conversation. What do you think it is about a family legacy brand that is different from a corporate mm-hmm. wine brand? If you had to put your finger on it. I think the passion behind it. I was it. just going to say passion. Yeah, there's no question. <laughs> and as word. you were talking, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Families are passionate about what they represent, mm-hmm. what they have, what they want to share with the world. And it sounds like that's what Mr. Trelato was all about, was family. Yes. No question. What are some like unspoken rules of of his uh, life and what you've taken away from you know his legacy? Oh man, if you're going to do lot. something, you're going to do it to the best <laughs> to of your 100%. ability, with no yeah. question. There's there's no half measure. In he anything. was exacting. He, yes. he, he was disciplined. He was old school. Yes. and he yes. he wanted what he wanted, and he had a vision for the company. That's yes. right. Mm-hmm. And and with being exacting and and having his vision, he was demanding as well. Yes. you know, and and I think any great leader needs to be and expect the most of everyone in the organization, um, including himself. Mm -hmm. And he demanded the most from himself. And then secondly, (laughs) demanded the most from his family. Was that intimidating as grandchildren? Um, I, yes, (laughs) (laughs) to be frank, at times it was, but I also think that it allowed us to, you know, work harder at, at everything we do and realize that there's an expectation. Yes. So we were always expected, you know, as you said, he was very traditional. Um, And at times it might have been a little bit daunting or (laughs) grueling as a child, Mm -hmm. you know, to be yelled at about something Mm -hmm. so little. But I I think it's what makes us who we are today. We'll, you know, and we do it for him in a lot of ways, how hard we work and how passionate we are is because he was so passionate. Mm. And it always came from a place of love, Mm -hmm. you know, and even if we didn't realize that in the immediate moment, uh, (laughs) you know, we we knew that later on and and knew that through his life. No question. What can you, can you share one of your favorite memories of him? There are a lot. I will say, um, when he would hug us, it was such a strong <laughs> hug. He w- it was like this big bear hug, and his, he always had such strong hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that just it's like one more thing that you know goes to. He would squeeze our cheeks, and it was yeah, it was out of those love. Lasting and it, impressions, and I think literally. it really encompasses exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that he did it to the fullest, mm-hmm. and at times like that. Cheek squeeze might have hurt, but it was like how much he loved you. He was yes. showing in that one squeeze. Yeah, it's like passion to the nth degree. Yes. Right? And you could feel exactly. that even with his hug. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we have so many memories in the kitchen. You know, there's a reason why we're here. Because he loved to cook. He did. He loved to cook. And, and I'll say this. He, w- he was a tremendous cook, but really my grandmother was his, you know, mm-hmm. consummate sous chef, Aww. doing a lot of the work behind the scenes, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, making him look good. And and really both of them teaching us how to manage your way around a kitchen, how to right. how to execute a meal. Um, right, how and, to cook pasta, how to right, cut keep it al dente your, perfectly, right. you know. Don't overcook the, it. That's right. right. Yeah. It's blasphemy. Cut with your knuckles out and, you know, things yeah, like all the that techniques young and, kids probably shouldn't have been yeah. holding knives at that point, but he was determined. <laughs> yeah. For us to learn. And do you both yeah. cook because of that? Yes. We do. And yes. I understand you, too. I understand you just spent some time at the, the Cordon Bleu in yes. Paris, correct? In London. In London. What yes. was that like? Um, it was a wonderful learning experience. It was during COVID, so a little bit different, I think, than usual times. Yes. But, um, but it was really interesting to learn more so about the pairings of food and wine. Mm-hmm. I think that's something since a young age we've seen and respected and heard about but it wasn't until really diving in and learning that it's not just about pairing red wines with meat. It's about how it's prepared. And that can take a lifetime to learn yes. all of the nuances to that. This, yes. this uh, clam, this linguine and clams is absolutely delicious, but you can taste the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the chef. He said, he, you always want the wine to be the star of the show. Yes. Right? So it's like the perfect... You, you, it, it, it informs how he cooks yes. based on knowing that the wine is the is the standout. Our grandfather would actually say to us, a, um, and I don't know if he had heard it from somewhere, um, but he had said a, 
the pairing of food and wine is similar to a marriage. Mm -hmm. Either the two complement each other well or they're so contrasting that mm -hmm. they they still complement each other because of, you know, one is more sweet and you're eating spicy, that mm -hmm. that's okay. Right. But you always have to have the wine and the food, you know, at the same level. It's interesting. I've always heard the expression um one peacock per pair, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, with with couples. Someone's always the peacock and someone's always the complimentary, <laughs> complimentary brown bird. It's the right. same with the wine and the That's food, right? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And ultimately about balance, mm -hmm. right? Everything yes. needs to balance itself out, no, you know, and, and though the wine will be the star of the show, the characteristics of that wine need to balance what you're eating. Yes. And it really is all about that play on, mm -hmm. on alcohol, acid, and tannin within wine, the balance within the wine itself, yeah. then pairing with whatever the characteristics of the meal are. I mean, I'm sure you've, you've obviously been around wine your entire lives and you've been probably drinking a little bit even when you were younger, right? <laughs> yes. To understand it. But when did you really feel like you started to kind of grasp it and to really, you know, master it? <sighs> I don't know if I'll ever master yeah, it. I was going to say, it's, <laughs> wine is so depth that it will take forever to get mm -hmm. to that point unless you're a master some, mm -hmm. of course, but... It, it took time, though. I think we, we didn't recognize as kids how entrenched we were in the business and how much we knew. Right. Because it was just dinner. Right. It was dinner with our immediate family. It was dinner with our extended family, with winemakers, with consumers. But that's just kind of how we went through life. There right. was always a meal. There was always wine on the table. And you're hearing about the qualities because I'm sure your family members are talking, oh, this wine, you know, is balanced. You can really mm -hmm. taste right. that. And so you're, it's, it's informing your palate as you're going through a meal, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until I think, at least for, for my case, going to college and being mm -hmm. away from the family meeting new people, yes. experiencing how they grew up, what mm. their experiences were, and they were different than ours. Yes. And no better, no worse, but just different. And I think it informed us at that point, you know, I guess not everyone eats like this. Not right. everyone spends their time around a table as much as we do conversing and right. enjoying their, each other's company. Or their um, parents or grandparents wouldn't allow them to drink wine right. you know, sure. until So when you, it was when you got to college you realized how much you actually knew about the wine industry. Was there ever any doubt that you wouldn't go into wine? Or do, I mean, personally, <laughs> I mean, was it expected that you were going to go into this? Or give me the truth about, about your path into the Turlato Wine Group. One of the nice things about our family, I think, is that it was around us constantly, and it was always talked about, as Tony said, at the dinner table, but it was never, at least I never felt this constant pressure from the family. It was very much our, our dad wanted to make it, you know, something that we wanted to do as opposed to something we felt forced to do. Yes. Be I think we wanted to end up doing it because there wasn't that pressure there, and we did begin to really have a passion and a love for it. And you already had such institutional knowledge, not only of how the business is run, but actually a, a passion for the wine, right? Yeah. That came, it's part of the deal, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And even if we didn't know it in the immediate, you know, my sisters and I all worked outside of the industry, outside of the business first out of college. I think recognizing, at least in my case, if I start working in the wine industry now, I'm never going to get out of it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how am I going to make an educated decision about what I really want to do if I go right into it right. out That's of school. That's a great point. And, right. you know, at least worked for a marketing agency, our older sister first, um, did Teach for America. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked uh, for a tech startup based out of San Francisco, okay. knowing that, listen, if I'm... Uh, if I'm really going to do this in life and, and carve my own path out, I need to carve my own path out um, and understand what I want. Yeah. And, and our family always was very, very open and encouraging of doing that. We have a rule that if you want to come work in the family business, you can't come right away. You need to work outside of the business. You need to be promoted and you need to eventually be promoted into a position of managing people. Fascinating. So that was a rule. Yes. If you yes. wanted to come work at Torlato, you had to go out first get another job, manage people, and then you can come back. That's right. Yes. Wow, isn't that smart? And so what did that teach you? What did, what did that experience teach you? It, it gave us confidence. It, it gave us our own set of confidence that no matter who you are, what you bring to the table, go work somewhere where your name means nothing. Yes. And, and not that, you know, even in the wine industry, the name opens all the doors, right? right. It's still business. But 
go figure out who you are. Go yes. figure out what makes you tick. Go build your own skill sets. Build your confidence. Come back if you choose to or want to and and bring something back to the company, to the family that we don't have, that wow. we haven't experienced that can propel us forward. That's whatever, you know, prompted Mr. Trelato to come up with that rule, you know, wow, good for him because I can imagine how much that enriches a company when you have people who've had that experience. Yes, that was something too. Our dad would always say that he wanted people at the company to respect you and want to work with you as a family member as opposed to have to yes yeah right. exactly which is I so true with this kid right. yeah which right. is so true okay right now a beautiful glass of the clipson i believe was just mm-hmm. poured um i'm gonna take a sip of this and i'd like you two to describe it and explain it to me if that's okay yeah or to absolutely. what you can it's, uh, it's delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. It's it's different from Napa. Napa mm-hmm. tends to be very yeah. fruit forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, almost jammy, depending yes. on the style of the winery. And this is very different. It's, you know, we're not recreating Bordeaux, yes. but it is more in line with an old world style Cabernet. There's more minerality. Um, something typical of Bordeaux is sort of that lead pencil mm-hmm. smell that you get when smelling it. It doesn't smell like California. It, it smells... Um, austere is not the word, but um, more mineral driven, more mm-hmm. about the soil, where it's coming from. Yes. So Clipson is, I think, a little more restrained in its fruit. There's big yeah. tannin structure, but they're subtle tannins. They're velvety. Um, you know, they coat your mouth very well. And again, allow it to pair very, very nicely with the right kinds of food. Well, and it, just as you're describing the clips and these lamb chops <laughs> arrive at the table right on cue. <laughs> Talk about perfect. perfect. And they, it is a great pairing. Are you allowed to say, because, you know, it's almost such a, almost a unfair question, but what your favorite wine is in the Trelato <laughs> wine group? I mean, maybe you we can only say it to each other. You're not allowed to say yeah. it aloud. <laughs> it's a loaded question. I think and this is a, you know, maybe it's a lame answer and maybe a good way to get out of answering that. <laughs> But it really depends on what you're eating, yeah. where you are. Okay. What yeah. you're eating, right? Exactly. All right. Okay. The season, your mood. Exactly. I'm just thinking it's a Friday night at, at Tony's house. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he pulls out a bottle of, of red or yeah. white. What is it going to be? Yeah. We, um, you know, my fiance and I, we love Rutherford Hill Merlot. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, one of the family's properties. And people would might say, oh, my God, Merlot. Who's drinking Merlot these days? <laughs> But it's Merlot's coming back in a big way. Merlot is one of the most important varietals in winemaking, period. Mm-hmm. It, it is a massive base of Bordeaux-based red blends uh, and, and an unsung hero in winemaking. It got it got a bad reputation With over sideways. the years. Side, yeah. Sideways is still hurting Merlot, isn't which is that, crazy. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. That, that movie is so funny. And and, and that, that scene talking about Merlot, and mm-hmm. I won't use an expletive, right. um, mm-hmm. but... It it, it it I can isn't it funny how one line in a movie can affect an entire yes. industry? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I think most people didn't recognize the joke at the end of the movie <laughs> is that the coveted bottle of wine that he has that he's even. so upset over because his wife and him loved it uh, is it was either Aubryon or Cheval Blanc, and I think it was Aubryon, which is Merlot based. <laughs> From Bordeaux. So that's why he hates Merlot, because him and his wife loved it, not because the grape is right. no good. Stop it. I swear I to God. I did not know that. You I just explained sideways to yeah. 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 You it just took all these years. Sideways. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. I'm going to go back and watch it for that reason alone. It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And so really only wine people would pick up on that, most that's likely. Right. Yes. That's right. Oh, a little yeah. so insider Yeah, so the consumers, nod. that's right. The consumers right. saying, well, I don't want to drink Merlot. Right. It's terrible. It's Perception. Which okay, that drives is us funny. crazy. That is real. I bet it does. Yeah. No, but it, it's versatile. It's, you know, uh, unlike cabs, it can be very tannic and big. It's more subtle. It's got typically more yeah. blue fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, it, again, very versatile, can kind of go with most meals mm-hmm. uh, and delicious mm-hmm. to boot. Elise, I know that your, your role is to really redefine social media for Turlato and to tell the story in a unique and beautiful way. I know you're working on the website. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such an amazing story to tell. What are you specifically excited about telling? For so much liquor sales, you can sell it through Instagram. Yes, exactly. But when it comes to a quality wine, is Instagram a factor? And do people who really know wine, do they care? You know, I'm just right. wondering how that plays into... Right your world. Yes, I think it it is something they do care about mm-hmm. and the biggest thing and the biggest thing that I'm most excited about to go to your other question as well is that 
It's to build brand awareness. Mm -hmm. We are very focused on being in restaurants and our brands and on-premise, as we call it, and obviously an off-premise as well in retail. But someone's not going to go up to the bottle on the shelf. It's so overwhelming. And it's not until you know or recognize a label or know a brand or Mm -hmm. have heard from word of mouth, which social media helps with. Um, It's not until that, you know, helps your recognition of the brand and the label. A lot of times, you know, a large percentage of people choose their wines on the shelf based on the The label label or the name. Exactly. I I just bought a wine called Storyteller because that's what I do for a living. How lame is that? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. It speaks to marketing, right? And it speaks to to say to to the name and the look. Yes. And and it's has nothing to do with the wine. So so how do you convey the quality and the knowledge that you everyone in this family has and what that means to the consumer. The largest thing that we've tried to focus on in terms of, you know, sharing that quality story is that it's family owned, curating family owned products. So mm. that is something that I think is, you know, it stands out as being a benefit for consumers because in that story you have a family who has passion and you also have quality estates, maybe a little bit smaller in production, obviously varying in sizes, but you have that story and the people that you can relate to as opposed to a brand name that doesn't necessarily connect to people who really care, the hands behind it. You know, it's not just about the business, it's about the lifestyle mm-hmm. and the things that you know we deem as quality should be it's important to us and and we want to the consumers to understand how important it is to them as well right and it's like how do you convey that to the consumer when you know your your family history has always been as mr Torlato said about quality 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 but you know to to uh, a consumer that is just you know buzzwords how do you convey that that really means something and i would think uh showing through teaching and teaching through the wines would be one of the ways Education is a huge part of what we have to do mm-hmm. um, because, as Elise mentioned, it's overwhelming, uh, mm-hmm. wine in general. Right. Picking a wine off a wine list, picking right. a wine off of a shelf, there's a gap maybe mm-hmm. in the American consumer, the U.S. consumer, and really all consumers as to how do I know I'm going to like this? Right. How do I know this is good quality? Yeah. I mean, the price is you know higher than the one next to it, but what if... What if I'm paying more for a label or a bottle or a name mm-hmm. versus a, a quality product? Yeah. We have our own in-house wine educator, uh, you know, that, that we use tremendously to go out to markets and explain to sales forces, explain to consumers, hold wine dinners, you know, kind of brilla educating, right. if you will, yes. um, trying to, you know, one by one turn people over. But I think to your point of social media, it's opened the doors for what our opportunities are to not only tell our stories about our brands and our wines, but help educate people about that. And, you know, I hate to use the word influencer. They right. are what they are and, and, and uh, they're important. They can be very yeah, useful. Right. Brand uh, yeah. Brand advocate. There you go. I like that better. Um, where you get the right person who has the right following of the demographic that we're looking for, for a certain brand who people trust right. because they buy products that they promote and, and buy products that they use. And, and had good experiences, well, that lends itself very well to wine. And we have to educate them to tell that story and help us get the message across to people. You know, it's so interesting because I feel like um, so much of the wine world, especially quality wines or luxury wines, are, you know, an older white audience, <laughs> very often male, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, how do you engage? Thank you. How do you engage a younger consumer who also cares deeply about a great tasting wine, luxury, but there's a disconnect. If, if your wine educators are all of a certain age and, and are speaking a different language, how do you, how do you get people that, look, that are younger, that, right. that are more wow. your contemporaries, Tony and Elise, yes. involved yeah. and educated about, you know, what you're putting out? Well, thank- a, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I, it's been a point of, you know, concern and, um, you know, for us being a part of more of the millennial generation. Because let's be honest, Lise, you know more at your age than most young women uh, right. across the country about the quality wine. So how, how can you teach and how can you convey that? to other people of, you know, of, that look yes. exactly like you? You yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. It's about conveying it's about meeting them where they are Mm -hmm. so obviously social media online 
on their phones, having all of the information, you know, obviously attention span on those social outlets are definitely um, short. So Mm -hmm. how do we make this impactful while still short and concise? Yes. There's obviously a lot to tell about all the wines, about our story. But if we can do it in a way that becomes a little bit more digestible. Sure. When someone's on their cell phone and they're quickly looking, you know, what's going to captivate them? Right. And we're seeing that in the younger generations, you know, there's a lot more concern on health and understanding mm-hmm. what's good for you or if a wine is organic or sustainable. Sure. Does it have an impact? Right. You know, These are all words that mean something, especially yes. to a younger consumer. Right. We were just poured a glass, I believe, of the Chimney Rock. Yes. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from you, Tony, because I know you work directly with restaurants, mm-hmm. right, and in, in sales. That's right. When you go in specifically, and I'm just kind of making this up, so play with me here for a second, <laughs> and you are trying to talk about Chimney Rock, how do you describe it and what do you feel like is the way to sell this particular wine? It's a great question. Um, not putting me on the spot or anything. Um, well, the first thing I would say about Chimney Rock is we have an extremely talented winemaker at the helm, uh, winemaker and general manager, Elizabeth Viana, who has a tremendous history uh, of high ratings and really understanding that property tremendously. So, you know, again, and I, I'm probably sound like a broken record at this point, but when we talk about these wines and especially the wines in our portfolio, it really is about that sense of place. Um, so Chimney Rock comes from the Stags Leap District within Napa, very, very small uh, AVA within Napa, um, only about you know three to five miles long, one or two miles wide, and there's about six, seven, eight wineries within that particular part of Napa Valley, and it's known for Cabernet Sauvignon, it's known for beautiful, velvety, deep reds. Um, mm. and, and having that provenance of being from you know, a, a very small place uh, within a much larger growing area mm-hmm. um, is what qualifies it, you know, as a fine wine. Um, you know, within the estate itself, there are numerous single vineyards that are all, you know, slightly different, slightly different clones, slightly slightly different microclimate mm-hmm. that'll give you little different aspects of what Cabernet Sauvignon can be mm-hmm. in a given growing region. Uh, and we blend those together to create the estate, Stag's Leap District, Chimney Rock, Cabernet that we have in our glass. And that all is what makes it special and unique. And no one else in the area can really um, you know, speak to it in that way. So Chimney Rock has a little bit of a higher price point, right? It's sure. like in the 50s for a bottle. I'm just wondering when you think about Chimney Rock and you think about some of the people that you're trying to sell it to, who do you think is a good pairing? Um, are you specifically for restaurants or hotels or, or kind of what is your strategy from that perspective when you have like a $55 bottle of wine? You know, we've always focused and that 55, you know, really a, a restaurant or a hotel or an on-premise account is going to is going to pay about, you know, $60, $65 for this bottle mm-hmm. on their wine list. You know, it'll obviously be marked up in a right. retail store. We're probably close to around $100 a bottle okay. for Chimney Rock. And there's a couple of people that that. That speaks to. I think one, it speaks to the you know veteran wine drinker mm-hmm. who uh, loves California, loves Napa, loves Cabernet, mm-hmm. loves Bordeaux, um, and and is looking for something that pairs very well with food, is balanced, uh, has no one aspect of the wine that's over overbearing or overpowerful. You know, and I believe it's also aspirational. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what I'll say about the millennial generation, my generation is, you know, they're probably more knowledgeable at their age than any other wine drinking generation Isn't that group. True? Isn't that the truth? At, 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 at you know, right. the respective age, right? right? At that relative age. And I think we have much more access to information. We're also really, we get excited about experiences, mm-hmm. right? So we're saving money, not necessarily to buy a bigger house, mm-hmm. but we're going to save money to have a greater vacation, sure. stay in a better room, mm-hmm. travel have the world. Have a better bottle of wine. Have right. a better yeah. bottle exactly. of wine. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, with that education, with that desire for experience, people are willing to spend more mm-hmm. for higher quality. And like we mm-hmm. said earlier, they have that higher quality. They recognize what a hundred dollar Cabernet from Stag's Leap tastes mm-hmm. like, and they're more reluctant to spend forty dollars on a different AVA and say, you know what, I'll 
save my money and, and splurge sometime later because why would I have something lesser? Yes, especially post-COVID, mm-hmm. we're seeing that. Yeah, you know, weird. people have been quarantining and not traveling, and so your expenses, you know, you have the money that you didn't necessarily have before, you were spending on other things, and now people are really thinking about, you know, how how do I want to live my life? I'm going to live it to the fullest. I'm going to go to the restaurants. You know, I'm going to be with people because you felt so deprived of it for so long. So we are seeing, you know, that the, the luxury consumer is higher than any other. You know, people are interested in, in buying more higher priced wines mm-hmm. because they want to enjoy that experience, as Tony was saying. Mm-hmm. I begin um, every show with saying, you know, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? Mm -hmm. And I really feel like it gets to the heart of what life's about. Mm -hmm. And really not only what life's about, but also the joy of life, Mm -hmm. right? And I got the sense that Mr. Trollato really cared about the joy of life. And I I think about, you know, when you think about your careers working for the Trollato Wine Group, and, you know, both very different. Um, if you had to have, if you had to remember one prevailing principle about Terlato and about this company and what it stands for, what do you think that would be? Oh man, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about quality a lot. I don't know if we yes. can say that word anymore yes. in this interview because it's probably been said a thousand times already. So it's something we have to think about. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's certainly to do with, with quality, but as we said earlier, uh, you know, not just in the product itself, but, mm-hmm. but overarching, you know, joie de vivre for lack of a better term, right? Mm-hmm. There, There is a part of life that I think in the last handful of years pre-COVID, everyone's running at such a vigorous pace mm. that you don't really take the time to stop and smell the roses, right? right? And we're just living in such a, a digital age, a everything happens now sort of time where, right. you know, winemaking, these families, these winemakers, you know, that nothing happens right away, right? right? Mm-hmm. Things take time. Things need to gestate. They need to grow. They need to vinify. They need to ferment. Mm. They need to age. Mm, right. We make a bottle of red wine and we can't sell it to a consumer for at least two, two and a half years, maybe three or four, depending on uh, uh, on where it's coming from and how long it needs to age. So th- there's something to be said for taking that time, for understanding, you know, that, that quality takes time that you know right. these experiences don't just happen like that it's right. it's something that it's that grows a, it's such a great metaphor for life what you just said mm-hmm. you know in that patience in all things right like whether right. it's mm-hmm. seeing your career develop or figuring out your passion in life or yes. you know so often we want things to happen right away but they don't right they take time to kind of develop if we had to say it in one word i think it would be aspirational the pinot grigio that varietal itself has been important to our family. And um, a lot of people question us about, you know, why did you put your family name on it, on the label? Um, And it it goes all the way back to our grandfather, you know, oftentimes was referred to as the father of Pinot Grigio Mm -hmm. because he went to Italy, you know, in 1979 is, is the year. And he went to go explore for varietals in Italy that he could bring back to the States. And um, he went through, he ordered, went to a restaurant, ordered about 18 different bottles of wine, um, ended up having, you know, a good time with the- thought he was crazy. Yeah, a good time with the waiter. But he ended up landing on one wine, which was a Pinot Grigio. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, you know, how he he decided this was something the American consumer would really latch on to. And and they did, right? I mean, the Pinot Grigio, so he is credited really with bringing Pinot Grigio to the U.S. And it is a huge, huge category of wine. Yes. And so over, you know, the years and as we, um, American consumers became more, you know, understanding of and interested in Pinot Grigio, we started to realize that there was a potential for something of higher quality um, within the Friuli Coli Orientale region. A lot of that, you know, it's hillside vineyards. You don't usually see hillside vineyards with Pinot Grigio. Usually Mm -hmm. it's flat land. Um, So it it was a chance to continue to elevate, you know, the quality of the wine. And so that's kind of what brought us to this Trollato Vineyards Pinot Grigio. Mm -hmm. And putting our name on it, was obviously something, you know, we had talked about, but my grandfather, our grandfather was very 
excited because he felt like, you know, he would he would never put his name on something that didn't deserve it. That right. Inside the bottle and outside was reflective of the quality. And so that was something that became, you know, a very big passion project for him because we also, you know, it's our, our family brand in Italy, which was so exciting to have yes. an Italian family brand. It's just all about what you had said before, education, learning, continuing to drink and try different wines. Um, and so I, I think that's really why we're continuing to be so passionate about yeah. it is as the next generation, there are so many different opportunities to open that door up to people who, you know, maybe weren't wine drinkers before. They can kind of move in and and start to go through our whole portfolio eventually. And what fun to be a part of something that really takes a lifetime to master. You know, you can, you know, you could spend so much time learning and learning and you'll never know everything, right? You'll always right. be learning. It's like, you know, wine is the perfect thing for the lifelong learner who's always curious, right. right? Yes. Well, I just want to raise a glass to you too. And thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. And hearing the story. It's been so special. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Cheers. You. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 